I said, wait a minute. Um, we started we started this off kind of as a joke, right? And yeah. it kind of took off a little bit. Um, we're trying to get the, the American audience into it, but apparently we're rocking it out in a bunch of places that, that we never expected it to happen, right? Yeah, Libya, South Korea, the Pine Barrens. Libya, South Korea, the Pine Barrens. I hear that um, like it's becoming big in Afghanistan too now. Number one podcast in Libya. Yeah. That's got to it's gotta mean something. It's really got to mean something. It's got to mean something. Yeah. Number one podcast in the Berlin Farmer's Market. They're just continuously playing us a loop there. All right. We're all over. All right. Yeah. And you're hoping that we can uh, make it into uh, Colombia? Colombia. Because um, that way we can get sponsors. Like, you got to think, man. We're going to sponsors free coffee. Yes. I think you can get Columbia free coffee. Yeah, wow. Beans. Yep. Beans. Some Colombian beans. Number one in Colombia. Yes. They'll fly us down. Give us bags of coffee. We'll leave. All right, John. Let's stop. All right. Welcome to Jersey Smarties. <laughs> All right, John. So now we're back. Welcome to Jersey Smarties. How are you doing there? You're looking all fine and dapper today in your, well, your flannel shirt. Today was a good day. I uh, did a lot of work around the uh, the house. I cut grass. I, I got to tell you, there's something pretty amazing. Um, I was cutting grass, and I noticed a leaf moving. So I went closer, and it was um, a baby dove. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, um, one of the trees must have uh, uh, fallen during the night with the storm we had, and there was a baby dove on the floor. The nest was all messed up. So, um, so as I went closer, I noticed another one on the floor. So there's two little babies on the floor. They have nowhere to go. Um, I call my wife because you know she she's the one that's uh, more of an animal lover than anyone else, and. Um, she she looks up online what to do because you know they say if you touch baby birds uh, the mom will not come back and they end up dying. right they they scent the uh, they smell the scent so um, yeah m- my wife looked it up and it said that it's not true for them um, and uh, sh- she learned how to like make them comfortable by building them a nest in a box and um, put them in the box put them in in like a little high up off the floor uh, in between these branches. And then last night it, it rained again, like something horrible. So, of course, in the middle of the rainstorm, my wife says, hey, we should go out and check on the birds. <laughs> I said, yeah, <laughs> we're not going out there. We're not going out there. Um, this morning when we went there, Mama Bird was in the box with them. Oh, good. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. That is I, I very was, good. Yeah, I was like so happy to see that because those those poor little things they they're so tiny, and mm-hmm. I was honestly I was looking to see what I could get them to feed them, and I actually called a sanctuary to see if they can come get them. They said they wouldn't be able to come till next week sometime. That they would call back. I was like, okay, they might be dead by then, but okay. Right. Yeah. So it's only going to be like 120. Yeah. Yeah. But Mama was in there. It was such a nice, very very nice scene, and. Uh, having mama in that little nest with them nice so today um nice. today I, I want to talk about 
something uh, near and dear to me, the field that I work in. Um, as you know, John, we both work in a field that has vulnerable individuals, um, people with intellectual disabilities and developmental disabilities. I started in this field over 30 years ago in behavioral health, and it's, it's never been the same since then. And um, luckily, I've worked with some pretty amazing people. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, and those amazing people taught me a lot and made me a better person. And I'm talking about the people that we took care of. Um, they, it was amazing how these men and women that had disabilities that probably 30 years ago, 40 years ago, um, nobody ever saw them becoming anything, just kind of put them somewhere, house them, and watch over them. And, you know, if they live, that's great. If not, oh, well. And they're so amazing and artistic and dynamic that it, it just, it really melts your heart. Yes. You know, and it's funny that you say that because, um, you know, one of, one of the most memorable um, moments I remember was going down to um, a, a day have with a, a adults with disabilities. And there was a gentleman in there and he was watching videos on his iPad. And they were all of machinery. And I was like, wow, like, you know, what, you know, that this is great. And he went and explained to me how the motor worked and where it was pulling from. And I was like, I, it made me go home that night and actually look up videos so I could show it to him. It just, it, it was an amazing experience for me. That was just one of them. So but. I think the thing that a lot of people don't realize that um, I, I want to bring some awareness to is the percentage of someone being autistic is so much higher these days or having an intellectual disability of some sort so much higher these days than ever before. And honestly, I don't know if it's because there's better systems out there to identify them. People are not as embarrassed by saying my, my son and daughter, they're autistic, um, even though that still happens. That, that happens a lot where they deny that the person has a disability and they try to make up something like, oh, they, you know, they, they just don't want to talk or they don't like being around people. Um, and I guarantee you, anywhere you meet somebody, they have a family member that has a disability. They just don't yes. talk about it. Or they're not even aware of it. I mean, I wasn't aware of certain people in my family that had disabilities until many years later. And I think it's yeah. it, it's that culture and population that we were brought up with that made us look at it differently. Yeah, I think I think when you go back, um, there was a lot of that. There was um, disabilities, mental health. Um, we can go we can go around with that, but I think that like people just lived with it or just dealt with it or just said, "Oh, they're just being them," or locked um, them up. Yeah. Well, you know, I I think one of the, the the one of the history lessons in this field was, you know, you go back a few years where they used to stick people in a dungeon of a hospital, and you know, because they would just hope they would get better, and it was horrible conditions for them. So, I, I think I told you this. I worked at Greystone Park Psychiatric Hospital. Mm -hmm. I was there for about eight years, and I remember when I first joined. Um, 
it was the coolest place to go to because the building where my office was in was built in 1872. And it was built by a guy, um, his name was Dr. Kirk Bride. And Greystone was the second institution in the state of New Jersey. It was the, when, when it's, it's gone now. Um, it was knocked down a few years ago. The Historic Society wanted to hold on to it, but uh, the governor said no. And before it got knocked down, it was the third largest connecting foundation in the world. It was literally a city below a city. And I got some amazing historic pictures from back in the day that I was able to scan. Um, and it was a shame because a lot of this, the historical stuff people were not paying attention to. Found a lot of stuff in the garbage. And I would go, and I'm like, this is treasure, man. You guys are throwing stuff away. When they built the new Greystone, a lot of the stuff that we were able to pull out from the trash was the stuff that they actually put up on their walls, their um, Greystone history walls when you walk into the new building, which if you see the new building, it looks like a hotel. And where was Greystone at? To Morris Plains. Morris Plains. Well, that's that, that could be a whole other podcast, the history of buildings. You know, if those walls can speak, number one um number two i just think that the stuff that they they you 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 find there the papers the everything in there so i remember finding there was a a, like a ledger and the ledger said um i may still have a copy like i i scanned it i may still have a scanned copy somewhere and the ledger was something like you know mr jones will give five chickens and three cows for the care of his son that was the wow. yeah yeah that was that was the payment and agreement. Um, it, it it's kind of pretty cool to to see that stuff because you know you hear about it um, you're not sure if it's it's real. This was a a real contract, and the reason I bring it up is many people were dropped off there at early stages in their life because they couldn't be cared for. They had a TB unit. People that were diagnosed with tuberculosis would be dropped off at uh, Greystone. And they would house them in this building. Um, that was around kind of the same time that they started looking at state institutions. One of the earliest developmental centers where they take care of people with intellectual disabilities and developmental disabilities is in Vineland. Mm-hmm. And that place was built, I want to say, like in the eighteen, early 1800s. Do you know the name of that place? Yeah, it's called Vineland Developmental Center. Is it? Oh well. <laughs> oh, wow, that's that's out of the box. Um, How creative! Yeah, they really took some time thinking yeah. about that. <laughs> well, they they named all the institutions to the town that they were in. So Trenton Psych Hospital. Guess where it's located? It's in Trenton. Where's Ancora? Mm-hmm. You know what in, I mean? In, in Ancora, yeah. So yeah. Oh. Um, it, 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 they named it after the geographical location it was in. I guess it was easier for them to to kind of keep track of where these different places are. So I, I have a, a question, and I, I know why I wanted to come in and I wanted to do it. It, it had to do with um, doing something that I cared about, um, just like 
being a firefighter. I wanted to do something that I cared about, had passion, a story behind it, feel like I'm making a difference. I know it all sounds corny, but I, I wanted to make a difference in, in one person's life. I felt that would be a, um, uh, a win. So you, you have had so many different routes that you've gone through in your life from the time that you were in college. What made you realize this was the place that that was home for you? I'll be honest. I got into this field um, just because I needed a job. I think a lot of people end up mm -hmm. walking into this field that way. And I worked in a group home setting many, many years ago for mental health folks. And um, it was not it was not an easy job, but at the same time, it wasn't hard. I worked the night shift, um, and most of the time, I would just come in and do my homework. So it was easy. Right. And then I ended up working at a couple of hospitals um, and worked on the psych units and worked in the emergency room. I think I told you I was an EMT uh, for a while. And you don't realize how amazing these people are till literally you learn more about their disability. So psychiatric individuals, like you've heard or you've seen in movies like this person is a schizophrenic. Oh my God. They, you know, they put this fear of people. They're serial killers. They're murderers. It's not true. They're probably the most scared people that are out there because imagine you hear you, my voice or someone's voice in your head as if they are talking to you, but no one else can hear that voice and no one else can be able to see that person except for you. How crazy right. is that feeling? And it's very difficult for them to describe that because there's, you know, they're telling you they're right here behind me. Can't you hear them? They're saying this, they're saying that. So um, when I first started working as a clinician or crisis counselor in this field, I remember sitting with a psychiatrist to do an evaluation. And, uh, you know, he said, hey, um, you know, do you hear voices? And the guy says, yeah, yeah, I hear voices. They're saying this, they're saying that. And I remember sitting there thinking, like, yeah, I hear voices too. I hear him talking to me right now. Like, what's the big deal? And I could not understand it. So when, I, when we walked out, I asked the psychiatrist, I said, can you tell me, like, what's the big deal about hearing, hearing voices? And he starts explaining to me the whole dysfunction with the brain and how um, the ability to, to have this hallucination is pretty profound. Hmm. Um, and then I started paying attention, and I see you know, these people, unfortunately, they're sitting there, and they're on the edge, and you see that they're mumbling to themselves, and you see they're looking around them, and it's, some of them have fear in their eyes because they have paranoia thinking people are trying to hurt them. Um, some of them hear the devil, some of them hear Jesus Christ, some of them hear God, some of them hear all kind of different things, and um, they, they don't know how to process it. So I became more intrigued. I wanted to learn right. more about it. I took a bunch of courses. There's something called the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, and that's what breaks down the psychiatric diagnoses. And back then, it was the DSM-3. I bought it. It's the most bizarre thing to read, but I read it cover to cover. I got the case study book, and it took you back to historical cases. And it was just amazing to learn so much about that. 
um, I wanted to continue that journey and path, so I started training people on the different levels of psychosis and how to understand, how to talk to people, and it just kind of escalated from there, and I started doing all kind of work with people with behavioral health issues. Um, the difference for me with people with behavioral health compared to people with intellectual disabilities is sometimes the behavioral health piece could be stabilized. You could be on medication, you could do psychotherapy, um, ECT, there's all kind of different treatments out there, and they may be able to stabilize you for long periods of time or short periods of time. I mean, if right. you look around you, I'm sure you would not even be able to recognize who has bipolar disorder, schizoaffective disorder, depression. Um, you wouldn't know. It's not like they're walking around, you're like, oh my God, look at that person. They have depression, right? Unfortunately, with the people that have intellectual disabilities, majority of them, especially the ones with autism, it, there's there's a, a very specific look and behavior to the majority of them that you can immediately know, like, there's something going on with this kid. There's something... Yeah, the way they move, the way they... Yeah. Correct, correct, because they have a high percentage of OCD, obsessive compuls uh, compulsive disorder, and they have to do repetitive movements, a lot of them are nonverbal, or they have echolalia, which means that they just repeat things over and over again. And some of them, they communicate by SIB, or self-injurious behavior. So they'll hit themselves, or they'll bang their head, and it's trying to communicate something to you. And I think that's probably the most intense thing that a lot of them will show, is when they can't say, hey, I'm hungry. So instead, they start yelling, screaming, banging, and people just see them as, oh, my God, they're dangerous. And I think that's where it's great if we can really educate people more and let them know that it's not a horrible thing for you to treat them no different than you want yourself to be treated or a family member. Um, they're not stupid in any kind of way. They're actually a lot more intelligent if you give the opportunity to learn. I equate it to when you go um, or when some, a foreigner comes to our country, they don't speak the language. So they try to give you gestures or they try to even draw. Um, but what do we do? We speak louder and slower, right? <laughs> Sit down. Don't yep. move as if that's going to make it a lot clearer. Like, oh, I, you know what? When you were saying it at regular volume, I, I couldn't understand. <laughs> but now I understand it. Now that you're yelling, right. you're in my face. Right. Now I oh, got yeah. it. Yeah. It makes me understand perfect English yep. now. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Oh, it, it's perfect now, right? So I think that's where um, learning about this disability has been, for me, a profound experience. And I could tell you a very quick story uh, when I was in college um, the woman that I'm married to we both were taking a um, psychology course because she 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 was going to be an art therapist and I just took the course because I, I I liked her I wanted to be in the same <laughs> class <laughs> and um, it was a class trip to a developmental center and um, yeah I'm macho. So I go with her. We get there. 
and we went to this building called the Mies Building, M-E-E-S-E. We walk in there. It looks like an old-style hospital, um, long hallways, big, huge open rooms. And when you look in the rooms, there's these, I would, I would really characterize them as, uh, as cages. There were baby cribs that um, had, there were just bars all around them and on top. So the kids could not get out of there. And the lady giving us a tour, she brings us into this one room, and there's this little girl. She's laying on the stretcher, and she's kind of, um, you know, her head is is lay, laying on the pillow looking towards the window. And maybe she was three feet long, right? So mm-hmm. they're like, oh, this is so-and-so, you know, she's been here since she was born. Right, so and so, um, we'll call her Mary for the story. Right, Mary, and she, and, and she moved. You know, she just kind of moved her eyes to the side and said, "Yeah." And I, I had to, you know, I had to act like, again, macho man. So I go over there and I put my hand on the pillow and I go, "Hi, Mary. How are you? My name is Sam." And she looked at me in the corner of her eye. And she goes, "Ow, you're on my head." And I look where my mm. hand is. And my hand is actually on her head, which is the size of a pillow. She was hydrocephalic. And when I pulled my hand up, it was like memory foam where your, Mm -hmm. your handprint was still there. I, when I tell you my, my knees went weak, I felt sick. I couldn't believe that this was somebody that was alive with a head as big as a pillow as wide as this bed that she was on. And she was still talking. Mm -hmm. And I just, I remember leaving there and I remember telling my wife, who back then was just my classmate, I said, I would never work in this field. Never. (laughs) I will never, ever work in this field. I said, there's no way I can't be, I can't be around people like that. There's no way. I, I just don't have the stomach for it. Um, 30 years later, I'm the CEO to that developmental center. Wow. Crazy, huh? Crazy yeah. crazy how, yes. how, how life works sometimes. And I actually yeah. went back to that building and I asked for that, that individual and they said she had passed about you know 15 years prior. But it's it just unbelievable, man. It, it, it really is a magical place when you go to these state-run developmental centers and some of the people that were dropped off at the age of like three days old. And they were told, the parents were told, they won't survive another two days. Just let them stay here. They'll die here in peace. and You don't have to worry about them. 40 years, 50 years. We had one lady that was 92 years old. Wow. So wow. there's a lot to be said about that field and the people that work in it. I don't think we give credit to people that want to be in it those frontline workers that take care of them in a way that is unbelievable. They're the heart of, of agencies like that. So, you know, um, you, you brought up uh, education and educating people in general. And, you know, I mean, you know, every time a, a new home goes up or a facility, um, people in the area always seem to get upset to um, get you know, I don't. I don't know if this is the right word. Biased, racist about. It's almost a hate crime, man. 
Yeah. It's yeah. like if, if someone of color moves in in a neighborhood that has been majority white people, all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're going to raise holy heck about we don't want this person here. It, yeah. It's literally the same thing. It, it's truly mm-hmm. a hate crime. And yeah, I, we don't I, we don't want them in our neighborhood, yep, anything yep. like that. Yep. I think it's the fear of the media, man. Yeah, the media portrays them as unbelievable. Again, look at the movies yeah. when, when they show somebody that has a mental health issue. They're usually the murderer. They're usually the person that's you know burning a house down, doing mm-hmm. all kind of stuff that is horrific. So of course, to someone that's not educated enough, they immediately think, "Oh my God, there goes the neighborhood." Yeah, they're gonna do something to our family. They're gonna, you know, kill us, murder us, rape our us. kids, and all kind of. Yeah. I mean, really crazy, crazy stuff. I went to yeah, a town it, hall meeting one time um, because the the neighborhood was they were targeting um, one of the group homes that that we ran, and uh, the mayor had asked if I could come and talk to them, and I said sure. So I went over there. Um, and it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. It had to be about 50, 60 people. Uh, the woman that hosted it was an amazing person. She said she cooked, ama- she was Italian. She made amazing Italian food. When I tell you, I'd never tasted food. I, I, I don't like uh, eggplant, but she made this mm-hmm. eggplant Parmesan that when I tell you, the slices were so thin, they melted in your mouth the way she cooked them. Amazing. Um, she fed us, opened up her home, And there was a a young kid, and I say kid because he had to be about 20 years younger than me, um, that I guess he fancied himself as a a councilman and came in and started saying some very, very inappropriate things about, you know, uh, what what, what assurances do you have to to us as the community that these people, and and when anybody says these people, it just really puts me in a bad place. Yep. And then there was a guy that he sat there. He says, I want to know their diagnoses. I want to know what medication they're on. I, went, I said, absolutely. I said, uh, you know, everybody, if you if you want to grab a pen and paper, so this way I can just say it one time. But before I start that, um, just by a show of hands, how many people in here use drugs? I said, it's okay. Raise your hand. You're in a safe place. The chief of police was there, right? I said, chief, right. you're, you're not going to arrest anybody, right? He he chuckled and looked at me, and he just shook his head. I said, nobody? Really? Hmm, interesting. How many of you are alcoholics? Wow, nobody. Amazing. How many people in here are on psychotropic meds? And I went down the line. How many people here have been arrested for domestic violence, for, D, for DUI? How many people have done this, done that? And, of course, nobody raised their hand, right? And I said, right. and I said you guys should be ashamed of yourself. You really should be ashamed of yourself. I said, I guarantee you there's at least one person sitting in this room that has a family member with a disability, and you're probably too scared to say anything because you don't want to be hated by this this group. I said, it's it's just very shameful for us to do that. Um, there were a couple, there, there was a black, I said, lynch mob mentality. Oh, it, it was terrible. It was terrible. Yeah. This is no exaggeration. This one lady stands up and she says, I'm disgusted with this whole thing. My brother lives in a group home. My brother is autistic. My And she went on and on for a good 10 minutes. So, of course, me being the wise guy that I am, I stood up and I started clapping really loud. I started clapping like in, in a way that I can't even start to tell you. I was, yeah. 
and, and I'm wooing her on. And, and I said, good for you. I said, I'm glad that you stood up and said something for your brother. Um, and then this other lady stood up and she said, my, my nephew is in a group home. And it, it, everybody in the room started identifying a family member. Right. So my final words to them was, and I meant this from my heart, I hope there never comes a day that you will need this service. But if you do, we're here. <laughs> and it was like the drop the mic moment, right? Yep. Boom. And I said, thank you. This is it. Have a good night. Um, the chief came over to me. He gave me a huge hug. He said, I am so sorry this happened. The mayor comes over. He says, oh, my God, this was handled so amazingly. And I looked at them, and I remember thinking, like, this is not a compliment. You're just happy that someone else did the dirty work by setting them in their place, and you just sat back and enjoyed it. Right, and they didn't have a riot on their hands. It's amazing. It's amazing, the lynch mob mentality of, of, of people who don't, what is it, like, don't understand or the unknown they understand yeah well it's just even that they think they understand oh this is horrible i've seen this on the news yeah like what year are we in come on people i i don't even understand some of the some of the things that i've heard is uh, oh you, you know like i i get twisted too when i hear you work with those people those people what, what's wrong with those people they're regular human beings like you and i who need our help. Like, let's be kind here. I think everybody forgets that. They're, they get stuck in their own world. They get stuck in their own world. I really hope um, for anyone that hears this podcast, um, give us your thoughts. I mean, really let us know. If, if you think that uh, we're wrong with what we're saying, t- tell us why you think it's wrong for uh, this field that many individuals need the help with, why we shouldn't be educating and pushing this agenda further. Um, it, it's it's a very sad thing when we give up on other human beings because they're not the same as us. So um, give us your thoughts. We're open to learning. Yeah, they can leave them on any one of our social media pages, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, but we also have a voicemail set up and a phone number, and that is 856-335-5417. Even if you're looking for help, if you're looking for some type of direction, um, maybe we can guide you in this area. Again, the number is 856-335-5417. All right, Johnny, we're coming to that moment at the end of the show. Where I just run around and scream? Well, I mean, you can do that if you want. but I, I... No, no, I'm behaved. I'm behaved. Don't we have a shot Listen, out? there is one. I do have a question for you. Do have a question for you. At what age? So I'm in, I'm in my late 40s. Okay. What age did hair start growing out of your ears and nose at an astronomical rate? I don't know. I, I don't have that problem. I, I, can't, I can't stand it. Like, it's amazing. And hey, when you're leaving a message, if you want to tell us that too, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> ah, we'll get you a hair specialist to, right. to, to yank that hair out of your ears and nose. Right. I think I can wax it. I don't know. but well, What a wonderful thing. <laughs> Thank you so much for bringing that up. Number one in Libya. In Libya. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you very much, Libya. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'd like to give a All shout right. out actually to um, 
a couple of friends out there that they started an IGD agency. Um, it's, a, it's a bunch of guys that I used to work with, and um, they're, they're pretty amazing people themselves. They decided on taking it on their own and doing what they know best by creating a small company that will be taking care of people with IDD. Their name is Lotus Services. They are located in New Jersey. Um, they're a really good group, and they have a ton of experience. I mean, the guys that are running this, uh, Sam, Shem, Angie, Victor, they have probably over 50 years' experience doing this in all levels. And it's really nice to see people that they, they, they're taking a chance, and that chance is to help other people. So it, it kind of warms my heart to hear that kind of stuff. So kudos to you guys. Lotus That's Services. great. It's actually part of the American dream. That's awesome. It really is, right? When you think about yeah. that, it really is. So um, look them up, Lotus Services. They're located in New Jersey. I think uh, their home address is in Marlton. Um, okay. And we'll, we'll, we'll put more about them in the description. But I just want to Marlton, New out. Jersey, in the Pine Barrens. We're also number one there, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, take that, Libya. Yeah. <laughs> Mars. South Korea. South, South Korea. Korea. That's right. That's right. Pretty soon, before uh, you know it, I'm telling you. Yeah. Afghanistan will be number one there soon. I know. We're going to be, we're, listen, we're going uh, worldwide. <laughs> Prestige worldwide. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well, um, Sam, I just want to say, since I have this moment with you that you are um, first of all you're an interesting human being you're an amazing human being and you're a great mentor so um, again if anybody needs a, a Yoda you're the one to go to I'd prefer not yeah, okay. I'd, I'd prefer <laughs> not um, thank you for that compliment but if you guys uh, um, need somebody to talk to John is the chatterbox He's the guy. When you call, ask for John. He's also younger and better looking. So, yeah. um, it's he, the he, beard. He, it's the beard. Yeah, mm. I'm trying to grow one here too. Yeah. I've been shaving yeah. a couple of days. We'll get there. Yeah. This is one day. <laughs> one day, right? Five o'clock shadow. One day. <laughs> one day. I shaved clean yesterday. Here we go. Amazing, Wolf Man. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, there's nothing like it, Teen Wolf. <clears throat> Thank you, Blaze. Blaze. All right, Johnny. Great. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Jersey Smarties. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on YouTube. Just click on that button. Also, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok for any and all updates regarding our podcast. Thanks for listening to Jersey Smarties. Real talk, real people. See ya.